James today. If you're visiting here for the first time or the first time in a long time, as James mentioned, we are working ourselves through every single verse of the book of James. Today we find ourselves in the second chapter, verses 21 through 26. James continues to teach us the relationship between faith and works as he did two weeks ago. If you're able, I ask you to join me in standing for the reading of God's holy word. This is James chapter 2, verses 21 through 26. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Pray with me, please. Lord, as we approach your word this morning... We do so with gladness of heart, for it is the very word of the living God. We know that it is not James' best effort that's on the the pages before us, but it is exactly what you, Holy Spirit, intended for us to read and to study and to know concerning yourself. Lord, your word is inerrant and infallible. It is God-breathed. May we receive it that way. Open our hearts and our minds to the things of God. Remove every distraction. That might be in our hearts or minds today, whether it's physical or mental. Maybe we're thinking about something uh, that's going to happen later today or this week. God, we set those aside and we ask you that we might focus upon your word. Teach us, Holy Spirit of God, mold us and shape us as you see fit. If there's one here who doesn't know Christ, bring that one to salvation. And for believers today, may we take a hard look at what your word says about our growth in grace that a faith that is without works is indeed dead. What good is it, you said uh, a couple weeks ago, to have faith without works? Teach us, O God, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Friends, growing up in my large Baptist church in East Tennessee, some of my favorite verses in the New Testament came from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10 Maybe these are verses that you memorized um, as you've grown in your faith. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And listen for the words faith and works in this passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. In this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, I love this passage because it teaches us so much about the grace of God and that we come to Jesus by faith and that God has called us to live a life of works that flow from a heart of faith. Now, we summarized our biblical teaching 
on faith and works two weeks ago with this statement. We'll put the statement back on the screen. Do you remember this? That we're saved by faith alone. But faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. In fact, we even visualize that doctrine with this expression. You can see that faith results in justification plus works. And as we can see, let's go back to the text in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul clearly teaches this truth in these verses from Ephesians. Let's take a look at this real quick. Verse 8, how are we saved? The Bible says in this text, by grace through faith. That faith is the means or the instrument by which we lay hold of Jesus Christ. So we see that it's not by our works that we uh, have salvation, uh, but through the works of Christ. Our works could never merit that salvation. So that's what we mean when we say the phrase, we're saved by faith alone. But if you look at verse 10 of this text... Verse 10 teaches us the latter part. You know, we're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. Because when you look at verse 10 of Ephesians here, you see from the text, and this is um, Ephesians 2 verse 10, that we are saved for good works. That we are the workmanship of Christ, created for good works, that we should walk in them. So friends, what this simply means is that we can distinguish between faith and works, but we can't separate them. It's like a coin. I got a penny in my pocket. We'll put a penny up on the screen. If you have a coin, it always has heads and always has tails. You can distinguish between heads and tails, right? But you can't separate them. They always come together. Such it is with faith and works. And friends, that's exactly what James taught us two weeks ago. And today, he continues to teach us the same thing. He just comes at it in a, in a different direction. That's not good. Who left this up here? Hunter, was that you? No, no, not you. Okay, you're fine. Today, he comes at it in a different direction. What James does today is he reaches back into the Old Testament. And he gives us two clear examples of how faith and works should be viewed and be understood. He reaches back into the example of Abraham. He reaches back to a second example of Rahab. And at the end of James's text today, he gives us what I call a lifeless illustration. So friends, those are our three points today. The example of Abraham, the example of Rahab, and then finally, a lifeless illustration. Because if you're asking the question, what does a living faith look like? That's what James answers today. And he does it first by looking at the Old Testament. Let's see this first point. The example of Abraham. Look back with me in the text from James. This is verses 21 through 24. Here's what the Bible says once again. And here, listen for Abraham here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So friends, let's talk about Abraham. Do you remember the story of Abraham? A large part of Genesis is given to this one man. So as we talk about Abraham today, I want to talk about two chapters from Genesis. Genesis 15 and then Genesis 22. Let's remember what happened in Genesis 15. The Lord spoke with Abraham, and Abraham confessed to the Lord, God, I'm childless. I do not have an heir. And that was a concern for Abraham. So the Lord made a promise to Abraham that night. He said, Abraham, your very own son, he shall be your heir. And you remember the story. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars. Look toward heaven and number those stars. So shall your offspring be. And the Bible says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You hear that? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Friends, in that one statement, the Bible is showing us that Abraham is expressing faith in God. When God, or when Abraham believed God, he was exercising faith, and the Bible says that God counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, he was justified by faith. He was declared righteous by God through faith. But that doesn't end the story of Abraham, does it? In fact, that's just the beginning. Seven chapters later, we get to Genesis 22. Sarah, in her old age, had conceived a child. And Isaac had been born. And Isaac was the only son of Sarah and Abraham. Couldn't you imagine the excitement that Abraham and Sarah must have had? Here's the one. Here's the promise. This is the one who's going to start all the stars in the sky. But the Bible says that God asked something of Abraham in Genesis 22. I want to read the text to you. Listen carefully, a familiar story from Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering. And he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it in his hand and the fire and the knife. So they both went, or, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb 
for the burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram called in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Friends, I want you to see Genesis 15. Yes, indeed, was an expression of Abraham's faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. But Genesis 22, friends, that's an expression of Abraham's works. A man who said he had faith, that was now demonstrated in his life with works. When Abraham bound his son, when he held up the knife, he was demonstrating his faith through his works. Friends, why do I mention these two stories? Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. James mentions both of them in the text today. Did you catch that? Both stories are mentioned. But if you'll notice with me, what's interesting about James and the way he writes this passage is that he mentions those stories in reverse order. Did you catch that? You know, you read Genesis, you get to Genesis 15. Before you get to Genesis 22, you hear about faith before you hear about works. But when James writes, it's reversed. You hear about the works of Abraham, that he took his son Isaac up on that mountain before you hear about his faith. Why would James do that? Friends, it has everything to do with the context of this passage. Let's recall something we learned two weeks ago. Do you remember this picture? The picture of the two swordsmen fighting back to back. We learned about Paul and about James. And we said that they're not on different teams fighting each other. Rather, they're on the same team fighting different opponents. That Paul on one side, when he writes in Galatia, he's writing against people who think that you can get to heaven by what you do. He's writing against works righteousness. And he's teaching them that you're justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But James has a different enemy. It's not the Judaizers, the works righteousness crowd of Galatia. It's a different enemy. It's called the antinomian. And remember, that's a person who believes you can come to Jesus by faith and then live any way you want to live. That there's no impact upon your life. There's no change. That it doesn't matter what you do. Come to Christ for your fire insurance from hell and then go live like the world, live like the devil. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. And that's why James is fighting this fight against the antinomian. And that's why he teaches us about the fruit of Abraham's salvation, the works of Abraham's salvation first, before he ever appeals to the faith of Abraham 
of Genesis 15. What James is saying is this this antinomian position that you can have God through faith, but it doesn't impact your life. James says that's the furthest thing from the truth of the Bible. Because if you have faith, you will have works. Genesis 22 is then mentioned before Genesis 15. He's teaching these antinomians that there will be real works, real fruit, a real changed life for anyone who claims to know Jesus as Savior. The work is an evidence of the faith. Now, I know this is a lot. Let me back up a second and talk about one technicality in this text. Because if you, when you read a text like this and you look at it on the surface, there might be a confusing point. For instance, in verse 21, it says that Abraham, her father, was justified by works. Verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not my, my faith alone. So it appears on the surface to be contradictory to the things I'm teaching right now. Let me explain this. Did you know that Martin Luther himself was boggled by this, this part of Scripture? It was very confusing to him. But here's our point of understanding, and it has everything to do with the word justified. In the Bible, friends, there are different levels of understanding of the word justified. Different levels of meaning. Now let me explain this. In the late 40s and through the early 60s, when the Apostle Paul was writing, justified had a full-orbed meaning. And we, we could say it this way, that he was writing about the word justified, that justification was an act of God's free grace, wherein God pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, because the, because the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us and received by faith alone. Okay? That was the full orb meaning that Paul wrote with late 40s to the early 60s. But when James was writing in the early 40s, that full orb definition hadn't even been addressed yet. The, work, the writings of Paul hadn't come forth yet. So when James was writing, when he wrote the word justified, it simply meant to show or to demonstrate. Let me give an example. I'll pick on Blair for a minute. Where's Blair? There's Blair. We always like to pick on Blair. Baseball season starts in March, right? That's when pitchers and catchers report usually in March. Let's say that back in March, Blair had said this sentence. The Nationals will win the World Series. That was your statement back in March. Well, now you can say the Nationals' actions in the World Series justified Blair's preseason prediction. Because what happened? We, we know what happened. That the Nationals played a seven-game series. And four out of those seven games, who won the game? The Nationals did. So the Nationals showed and demonstrated that Blair's preseason prediction was accurate. They put forth the evidence. They showed, they demonstrated by their works that Blair's preseason prediction was accurate. Friends, that's what James means when he says justified in this context. 
Here's the example. It wasn't back in March, but back in Genesis 15. It was declared. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. But then after Abraham had that faith, later on you saw the evidence, the demonstration, the showing of that. When he took his son, his only son, up on that mountain, and he bound him and he put him on that altar, and he held the knife over him, we could say, wasn't Abraham showing and demonstrating that he had a true faith in his God? Friends, that's what James means when he says that Abraham was justified by his works. He means that Abraham was showing and demonstrating the proof, the evidence that he really knew God by faith through his works. John Calvin said it this way. We'll put the quote on the screen. Justification has a double meaning to Paul. The word denotes a free imputation of righteousness before the judgment of God. But to James, it means the demonstration of righteousness in the sight of men. John Blanchard says it this way. Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. His faith was the energizing force that moved him to action. And his actions were the energetic evidence of his faith. For when a man over a hundred years old is prepared to kill his only son, when he has been told that he will have millions of descendants, one can surely assume that that man's faith is something more than an empty profession. Simply put, my friends, James is saying that Abraham's works justify the fact that he's been justified by faith. Let me say it one more time. Abraham's works show or demonstrate, justify the fact that Abraham was justified by faith. For when push came to shove, this man showed he had a real faith in God by living it out with his works. And why was this necessary? Let's just boil it down to where James is going here. Why was this necessary? Because faith without works is dead. What good is it? That was the question from two weeks ago, right? What good is it if a man says he has faith but does not have works? It's no good at all. Put an illustration on the screen. This is an apple tree. Remember it this way. Works... They're not the root of your salvation, but they are the fruit of your salvation. Our salvation is rooted in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. His righteousness being applied to our lives. And once we come to know him by faith, the Bible says that we will produce fruit, good works that bear for all to see. Let me ask you something about... um, an apple tree. Is growing apples like an extra benefit of being an apple tree? Is it, some, is it an add-on? Of course it's not. It's the most natural thing that could ever happen. You plant an apple tree to grow apples. It's not something that you wonder if it's going to happen or it's a bonus if you get apples. What good is it if your apple tree doesn't grow apples? 
the same thing with faith and works. Works are not some add-on or some bonus that you might or might not get with being a believer. Because the Bible says it's the most natural, the most normal thing for a believer who has faith, for that faith to be demonstrated with works. Let's look at our second example, that of Rahab. If you still have your Bibles open, look at verse 25 of our text today. The Bible says, And in this the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Thankful for Hunter this morning, reading that long passage from Joshua chapter 2, we meet Rahab. So let's do, let's do something. Let's contrast and compare the two Old Testament people that we're talking about today. You have Abraham on one side, Rahab on the other. These are the two illustrations James uses. Some of the differences. Abraham, obviously a man. Rahab, a woman. Abraham, a Jew. Rahab, a Gentile. We could say that socially, Abraham might be at the top of the social ladder, where Rahab might be seen at the bottom of the social ladder. The letter P, we apply to Abraham. He's a patriarch. The letter P, we apply to Rahab, naming her as a prostitute. Abraham had personal conversations with God. Rahab didn't have that. As Hunter mentioned, she only heard about God through hearsay. So many differences. Yet, friends, the Bible today teaches us that they have something in common, something that we need to note. They both trusted God. They both trusted the Lord. The Bible makes it clear that Rahab had heard about the God of Israel. And even though she didn't understand everything that Abraham understood, the Bible says she has a saving faith. And this text teaches us that her faith led to action. It led to works. Just as Abraham's faith led him to bind Isaac and put him on that altar, Rahab's faith caused her to receive the messengers and send them out. By another way. Yes, her works were demonstrated. Showing that she had a real faith. Her works showed, validated, demonstrated. The word that we're using here, justified in the sense of which James is writing. Her faith. And as we read more through the scriptures... We see, although they had many differences, isn't it interesting that the patriarch and the prostitute were both put together in the same passages in Matthew chapter 1, anticipating the birth of Christ? They were both put together in the same passages in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith. Do you know why? Because God is not a respecter of persons. We have looked in this chapter for weeks now. God does not show partiality. And whether it's a patriarch or a prostitute, both have the opportunity to come and know God by grace through faith. And God worked in both of their hearts. And I want you to know, friends, that we can be sure of one thing. 
that if God called Abraham to faith and Rahab to faith, and then God allowed trials and tests to come for Abraham and trials and tests to come from to Rahab, he's going to do the same thing to you and you and you and you and you and this guy right here. James teaches us how to live the Christian life. This is practical truth for Christian living. The whole first chapter of James. What does he say as James prayed a minute ago? The different James. That's James, not the one writing the book. James prayed, according to the book of James, God, help us to expect trials to come. And when those trials come, let us be steadfast. God, let me not only be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Because if I'm a hearer only and not a doer, I'm deceiving myself. Let us recognize as believers, what good is it to say, hey, I know Jesus Christ, but there's no demonstration of that in your life. It's good for nothing. It's a dead faith. God expects us to be steadfast under trial. He gives us the grace to do that. Let me ask you a question. What trial is going on in your life right now? How are you being tested and tried by our God? Because he absolutely will do that. He did it to Abraham. He did it to Rahab. Go through the Bible. He did it to Daniel. He did it to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did it to Stephen. He even did it to the Lord Jesus Christ who sweated drops of blood before living out his faith heading to the cross to die for your sin and for mine. Friends, if you say you have faith and you don't have works, what good is it? It's no good at all. And this brings us to our final point. To our conclusion, verse 26, we've quoted the verse already. Very simply, you see the lifeless illustration. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He's fighting the antinomian view. Is there fruit in your life that bears witness to the fact that you know Jesus Christ by grace through faith? A dead faith can't be expressed or shown. It is good for nothing. I want to end the sermon today with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Has anyone here read the book, The Screw Tape Letters? The Screw Tape Letters. A book written by C.S. Lewis. Um, the book is fictional and satirical in format but the plot and the characters in the book they demonstrate the realities of the Christian life so let me if you haven't read the book or you're not familiar let me give you a little background the book is a series of letters and it's written from a senior demon whose name is Screwtape and he is writing to his nephew a junior demon and his name is Wormwood. So Screwtape is always writing these different letters 
to wormwood. So what Uncle Screwtape is doing is he's trying to mentor young Wormwood into tempting a Christian man. You see, the man that uh, Wormwood was responsible for had become a believer. And Screwtape was upset that Wormwood let that happen. So now he's aiming at this believer and he's teaching Wormwood how to tempt this believer against what Screwtape calls the enemy, which of course in his mind is God. And this man that Wormwood is tempting, he had found a new faith in Jesus Christ, yet Screwtape challenges Wormwood, even though he has a new faith, don't let him do anything with his faith. Tempt him in a way that he does nothing, that he puts no action to his faith, that there's no works that accompany his faith. Here's the quote. It remains to consider how we can retrieve this disaster of him becoming a Christian. The great thing is to prevent his doing anything. As long as he does not convert it into actions, it does not matter how much he thinks about his new repentance. Let the little brute wallow in it. Let him, if he has any bent that way, write a book about it. That is often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which the enemy, God, plants in the human soul. Listen to this one. Let him do anything but act. You hear that? Let him do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imaginations and affections will harm us if we can keep it out of his will. As one of the humans has said, active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive ones are weakened. The more he feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act, and in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. How will Satan attack you, believer? One who says you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let him do anything but act. Let him do anything but live out his faith. That would be the work of the evil one in your heart and in your life. Hear the scriptures today, friends. Faith without works is dead. What good is it? What good is it? We are called not only to know God, but follow hard after God. As he tested Abraham, as he tested Rahab, he will test you and me. And we live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not only know him, but follow hard after him. This is talking about the lordship of Christ in your life. Satan will tempt you. You can do anything but act. Go write a book about it. Do anything but act. Be aware of that temptation. Pray with me, please.